Hey, good morning. How's everybody? I am so excited. This is just going to be such a fun, a fun series. Uh, today, we're launching Hullabaloo, which is a series all about rediscovering the lost art of celebration. I'm going to explain kind of what that means here in just a moment. I want to start by welcoming everyone who's new. Uh, I greeted quite a few new people today. Thank you for uh, taking a risk, trying us out. Uh, we're a pretty average church, who, but we serve an above-average God, and uh, it just makes everything really neat. So uh, we're excited that you're here. Thank you. Uh, I want to say hello to our, our deaf community. Excited to see you guys. This is really great. Yep, yep. And uh, life is good. Life is good. And I, 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 life actually has been so good recently um, that, that this series came out of me not really knowing what to do with that. So let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, I've been a part of church in general my whole life. I've been a vocational pastor for 18, coming up on 19 years. And um, I've learned over, over the, well, coming up on decades, that uh, it's kind of dangerous to, to, to celebrate in church because people need to know that God is the one who, who brings the, the good, that God is the one who deserves all the glory. And so um, I don't know what happened, but somewhere inside me, um, celebration became kind of something that we set aside or something we do only on special occasions. It's not really something we just dive into. Well, recently, uh, because of all kinds of incredible things the Spirit of God has blessed upon our community, uh, we've had great need to celebrate. And, and everyone around me has been kind of saying this, most notably uh, the young lady who assists me and helps run our weekends, Alyssa. And Alyssa is like an expert celebrator. She's in the back right now just smiling side to side because this series really came out of her um, confrontation with me when she sat down and kind of nervously said, hey, look, um, I don't feel like we celebrate well here. And I was like, well, I'm offended. I don't, and you're only 26, so what do you know? Anyways, I didn't say that. I thought that. I thought that. But only for a second because Alyssa's very wise. And she, she continued to talk with me and she said, listen, we've been fighting for like 14 and a half months, 16, 15 months to get these permits for this building. And now we have them. And the day we got them, I went into like hyper work gear. Like I was like, great, we got them. Let's go. It's time to roll. And she was like, whoa, whoa, let's, let's, let's pause and celebrate. And so she was forthright about this. She uh, brought it up at staff meeting. She actually planned a little staff party that we're going to do uh, later this week, uh, just with us as a team. And I was like, this is, this is, why do I have such a hard time with this? And, and so we decided as a church that because God is doing so much, that we would take four straight weeks to kind of wrap up summer and talk about celebration, talk about uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the festivals that fill the Bible, that, that God called his people to celebrate. We're going to talk about Jesus and how he celebrated every one of those, how even though he was the source of those celebrations, he still felt it was important to participate. And so I just want to invite you on that journey with me over the next four weeks. I am not strong in this area, but I've learned that the Holy Spirit tends to make that up. Uh, he tends to kind of fill that in when I'm weak. And I know that for some of you in this room, this is going to be a hard series because this has been a hard year. It's been a hard season, and, and, and for you to celebrate is to move on without something that you used to have, or for you to celebrate is to find joy in something that's bringing a lot of pain into your life. And I just, I want to share with you that I, I recognize that, and I feel that, and I think that God wants to meet you there, and I think, and I hope, and I pray that by the end of this series, you're going to have um, so much to celebrate over, so much to create a hullabaloo about. 
Uh, every single week after service, we're going to have a different community element out front. This week, we're doing strawberry lemonade, so stay if you can. Meet some people. Introduce yourself. Uh, next week, we're going to do something different every single week, and, uh, and I'm going to be here throughout it. So uh, I just want to invite you. I want to welcome you, and I want to thank you guys for being a part of our church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so I, I, I had lots and lots of options to pick from of what I wanted to start with. And I decided that I would start uh, with a common story from an uncommon perspective. So I want to start with the story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son, but I want to tell it from maybe an, an uncommon perspective, a perspective that after a lot of study and thinking about from this celebratory standpoint, point, I think speaks a lot to where I'm at, and I think it might speak a lot to where you're at. Most of you know the story, or at least how the story has been taught. Some of you do not. There's uh, a parable or an illustration that Jesus uses, and he's teaching uh, a large group of people, and he shares with them about a father and two sons. He says there was a father and two sons. There was an older son and a younger son, and he says that they were going about their lives, and when they got into their adulthoods, the younger son came to the father and said, give me my inheritance now so that I may leave because I don't want to live this life anymore. I don't want to be a part of this community anymore. And what you really, if you really were to understand the cultural um, standpoint here, you would understand that for a younger son to take his portion of the inheritance, which would be less than the elder son, uh, basically means that, Father, I wish you were dead. I wish the family disappeared. I wish I could just have what I want now. I want to I remove myself from being any, anywhere near a part of, of this community. And so, of course, everyone's distraught, everyone's crying, everything's broken, but the father respects the son and gives him his portion of the inheritance, and the son leaves. The son goes to the nearby town and basically lives a life of complete indulgence. It says that there's prostitution, it says that there's gluttony, it says that there's gambling, there's all these kinds of things that just feed everything he's ever wanted to experience, he experiences. And he does this, let's say, for a year and a half or so. It doesn't give us a time frame, but it's, it's enough time that there's distance between the original family with the elder son and the younger son. Eventually, like all sin, the thirst is not quenched, and the desires remain, and the younger son finds himself in a position of great need. As a matter of fact, he's in a pit with pigs eating their leftover slop. He's, he's completely ruined his life. He's perhaps addicted, he's broken, he's, he's humiliated, his reputation is gone, he has nothing in his life to celebrate. But what he does know is that even his father's servants live better than this. So he comes to himself, it says. That's the, that's the phrase it uses. So he comes to himself and he says, my father's servants have a better life than I have. I will go back to my father, confess my sin, admit to my brokenness and live as a slave within the family the rest of my life for it will be a better existence than this. And so he travels home. It says that the father sees the son from a distance and he does something that culturally would be uh, pretty disrespectful. He runs. As an older gentleman with a robe, you would have to like raise up your robe in order to run and it would expose your legs and 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 it would expose this reality that you are you are that you are not this authority you are not this formal father and protector you are just another person excited to see your son and that's exactly what this father did he runs to meet his son and he embraces him right in the midst of his stench and he pulls him in and he calls his servants and he says my son my son is back and everyone's excited, and he proclaims that there shall be a celebration family-wide. 
He says, kill the fatted calf. Bring in the friends. Bring in the family. Bring in the music. Bring in the laughter. Let's celebrate my son returns. Now, there's an older son in the story that isn't mentioned till right about now. And it basically says that the older son came home and he asked what was happening, what, what, what's going on. And he, the servant answered him with this, verse 27. He says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older son was angry and you've refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. This this story you really have to soak in. As an older brother, of course you don't want your younger brother to leave, and you definitely don't want him to take a portion of the inheritance before fathers even died. And once he's gone, you certainly don't want to see him again. Now, we've all had difficult family situations, and this one's about as extreme as it gets. Suddenly he shows back up, and the brother comes back from working, from serving, from stewarding, from being a good son. And he hears a party and he asks, what's going on with this party? I mean, there's, there's hundreds of people here. There's, like, this thing's been raging for, for four, five, six hours now. And a servant probably laughingly says, your brother's back. And he's like, yeah, and your father is so excited that he's back. He killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating through the night. And the brother does what we at Kesed call holy pouting. Now, I've given a lot of permission for this back in the day. I'm going to continue to remind you guys, because it is what you do, even though it's not as respectful as you'd like. But whenever God approaches you with something that you're supposed to be a part of, and you sort of stand back like, and, and we say things of pride like this. I'm going to use wisdom before I decide whether or not I should participate in this. Yeah? That one's used on me a lot. Like, I'll try to, I have a, a vision, or I have a movement, or I have something the Spirit of God has laid on my heart, and I'll go to people, and you can tell when it hits somebody wrong, because their general response is, I need to pray about that. And it's not really a spirit of let me pray about that. It's like, I don't know if I want to be a part of that, because I don't know if that's really my thing. So we pout. We stay outside the community of celebration that's happening before us, and we evaluate if the celebration is worthy of not only the people who are celebrating, but of our own presence within the celebration, and we pout in the darkness by ourselves. Now, this story up to this point has been preached many different ways, and many times when we are listening to this story, we are reading it from the perspective of the lost son. I've preached it myself this way, that we are all prodigals, that we are all broken, that until Jesus Christ came into our lives, we are all trying to quench and drink from this world as much as we possibly can, and yet the world is lying to us, saying that if you only have a little more, you'll be okay. If you only have a little more, you'll be okay, and you're never okay until one day you find yourself chewing on, you know, old bread and, 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 and ancient corn in the mud of your own poor decisions, and you're trying to figure out, how did I get here? Jesus meets every one of us this way, every one of us. And when we come home to the Father who doesn't deserve uh, this kind of behavior, he, he humbly raises up his robe and comes running to us, to his sons and daughters, and he picks us up and he holds us and he says to us, you're mine, let's kill the fatted calf, let's celebrate, we're going to have a party together because Danny's home, he was lost and now he's found, look at this, isn't this incredible? And you are ushered into the presence of God. This is how we read the story. The problem is, is that the story has another side to it. See, the story should also be 
seen through the older brother's perspective. Because once you've been a Christian, and I don't know why this happens, and I don't, I don't fully understand it. I just know my own story, and so I'm going to ask you to, to filter this through your story. But in my own story, this was me. I became a Christian. I got pulled out of the slop into the presence of Jesus, and then I began my journey. I got called into ministry really, really early. I preached my first full sermon at, at 15 years old. I was doing full-time vocational ministry at 21. I've just, this has been my calling. I, I barely remember doing anything else. And, and the slop has, has, has been always part of my story, but I'm just going to be honest because somebody in the room has got to go first, and so it might as well be me. I got really, really shiny throughout the years. Like, I watched a lot of people walk away from the Lord, take their inheritance, and leave. And I just want you to know, not this guy. I've been stewarding the farm for almost 19 straight years, people. I've preached thousands of sermons. Thousands of sermons. I have shepherded thousands of sheep. I'm working. And when I come back and see another community or another person, or somebody gets celebrated that I know for a fact over the last 10 years just blew their whole life up, just a little tiny part of me goes, hmm, just a little tiny part. I'm being authentic because I want you to see within your own self, just a little tiny part goes, hmm. And you see this person that blew everything up and half the time said a bunch of garbage about me on their way out, come all the way back and put on Facebook that now they're leading a Bible study. And I'm like, Hmm. Isn't that interesting? I do believe I shared recently, not super recently, but recently to my wife, private messenger, and just wrote that phrase. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Remember nine years ago when they said blah, blah, blah? Now all of a sudden they're blah, blah, blah leaders. Now all of a sudden they're serving. Now all of a sudden it's a verse every day, which gets old, people. Read the verses for yourself. You don't need to post them for me. <laughs> hmm. Isn't that interesting? See, I think if we're really careful, we'll read the story from more the older brother's perspective, those of us who've been within the gospel for a long time, because we've been doing this for a while, and there's a lot of younger brothers and younger sisters that come in and out of our lives and the truth is, we don't celebrate well with them. And we don't celebrate well with them because, well, we feel like maybe we deserve that celebration more. This older brother's father comes out. He leaves the party. I just want to give this to you. This is a gift that was given to me that now I'm going to give to you. He leaves the party where all the people are. We'll call them 99 and he comes out into the darkness with the one. See, we, we always read that the one is the one lost. We always read that the one that Jesus went after, he leaves the 99 to go after the one, is the cold lamb out upon the, the edge of the cliff, hiding from a wolf nearby, and the shepherd's out with his staff of righteousness, and he's finding me. And then we get saved, and we're part of the flock forever. But how often have we been part of the flock forever? But then we go out doing the work of Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, flock, we're going to go over here. And we're like, no, Jesus, I've been a sheep for a long time. This is the better grass. And all of a sudden, Jesus is over here doing stuff that we don't really feel makes a lot of sense because this is the better grass. And then he leaves the 99 to come after our righteous selves to remind us that there's a party going on over here. And we're like, hmm, that's interesting, Jesus. 
I thought you were going to leave the, the 99 and go after the one, the lost one. And Jesus is like, I am. You're the lost one. I'm the lost one. This father does just that. He leaves the party and he goes out to talk to the older brother. Verse 20 says, and he says to him, your brother has come. Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he was received back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused. His father came out. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you, gave me a, you didn't give me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who was devoured, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And there's intensity and there's passion. This is back to exclamation point. Jesus is telling the story. Those of you who fake when you're frustrated with God, you need to add exclamation points sometimes to the end of your prayers. This is how Jesus says that, that people talk to the Father. This is how we are supposed to go to him with reverence and respect, but exclamation points nonetheless. You're going to bless them? They left years ago. They cursed what we were doing. They cursed what I was doing. Don't you remember when? How could you do this? I'm the only one that deserves the fatted calf. I'm the older brother. I stayed. I stewarded well the calling you placed upon my life. But now you're having a party for them? This is how this conversation went while the father listens. This is how the conversation still goes while the father listens. And so the father responds to the son and he said to him, son, listen to these words, listen to this compassion, listen to this goodness and mercy. You are always with me and what I have, all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father says to the son, his returning changes nothing about your inheritance. His returning changes nothing about your community or about our love for one another or about the fact that you stayed and that you served. But here's the thing, son, and here's what I want to tell every son and daughter in this room. I'm here to tell you, no matter how long you follow Jesus, any time a son or daughter of Jesus Christ enters back into the tent of community, it is worthy of celebration. No matter what. It is worthy of celebration no matter what. Here's what the father really was telling the son. All celebration is a choice. You choose to celebrate or you choose not to. Celebration doesn't happen to you. You choose to participate or you choose to, to step away. But either way, it's you and your engagement in that determines your level of celebration. And here's what the older brother did that I do so often that maybe some of you do as well. The older brother had seen what the father was doing and had chosen to twist what the father had graciously done for his brother to be about what he had not done for him. See, it's not about someone else doing well. It's about someone else doing well when I'm not doing well. It's not that I don't want to participate in celebrations of other people's lives. I just want to participate in my own celebration more. And that's a, that's a sobering reality. It's kind of ugly to say. It doesn't paint me in the most beautiful light. 
I'm hoping it translates better than I'm actually saying it right now. The only people left in the church will be our spiritually mature deaf and deaf plus people next week because it's, it's ugly. It's difficult to say, right? It's, it's uncomfortable to, to admit that, that when I scroll through Facebook, part of it is me sharing what's going on good in my life and part of it is me comparing what's going on bad in my life to see if it's as bad as somebody else's. Hopefully not. Hopefully I'm the one staying home. Hopefully those people that left are enjoying that slop. Hope that bread's good. Like, right? (laughs) Doesn't seem too comfortable out there, does it now? Leading your Bible study. It's not very easy teaching God's word when everybody's asking questions all the time. See, I need to admit, and I think you do, that most of the time, now that I've been saved, and that was my salvation experience, a prodigal return, but most of the time now what I wrestle with is not my stains as much as it is my shiny parts. It's my crown. It's my badge of honor. It's my reputation. It's the reality that I'm doing okay at this. And so here's what happens. Great things happen. And because I'm nervous to celebrate uh, the great things in my life, I'm then nervous to celebrate the great things in anyone else's life. And so when something happens to me, I say, great, let's just get to work and move on. Because I don't want to deal with the reality that my heart's maybe not prepared to receive the blessings of God. I know I don't deserve. I know I don't deserve it. And I don't want to face the reality that God can bless whoever he wants and he blesses people every day who don't deserve it. But that frustrates me because maybe somewhere deep down inside, let's step on my soapbox here, I do deserve it more than most. (laughs) Now this is not a significant part of my heart that I'm exposing right now. But it's an authentic portion of my heart I'm exposing right now. I don't celebrate well for the same reason the older brother doesn't celebrate well, which is the same reason most of us don't celebrate well. And that is because we want to deserve the celebration. And for us to stop and thank God for the things he's given us that we don't deserve is to admit that we don't deserve it, which is to admit that other people can have the same kind of celebrations they don't deserve. And I don't like that spiritual economy. I want to work the system because that puts me in control. That makes me at the center God says, you're not at the center of anything. I'm going to bless who I want, when I want. I'm going to celebrate who I want, when I want. I'm going to do what I want, when I want. And if I ask you to walk the narrow road for 40 years and someone else pops on the scene and has more physical or spiritual success than you in the first two months, then I'll do that. And you'll show up to the party with a smile on your face if you choose so. Or you'll stay out the cold and become the very person that you've built your whole life trying to reach. Lost and wayward. Jesus, when he's giving this parable, most people don't realize because they're reading it so much for them now that he's talking actually to a group of very, very spiritually minded people, the Pharisees. And what he's saying to them is that he came to fulfill the scriptures they hold so dear. He came to make true what they believed was coming. He came to let them know that there has been a new uh, uh, launch of redemption within history. 
The unfolding drama of God's salvation was now, according to Jesus, being preached to them, extending beyond the borders of Israel and the Jewish people. It was now being extended beyond to the Gentile people, to the younger brothers that didn't deserve it. He was coming to change for all time what they thought they were about. And he says to them, remember, he uses the parable of the the wedding feast where the groom invites people to come and he invites all his brothers and his sisters and his close friends. Just like when Jesus came, he says, I am the Messiah. I am a rabbi. I am a fellow Jew. And they said, we don't want you. We want to be the center of the story. We're God's chosen. And he's like, I am the chosen. And their chosenness had to have like a battle off. Who's more chosen, the Jewish people or Jesus, the Jew? And Jesus is like, you're chosen because I chose you. No, you're false. We are God's people. We know what's right. We interpret the scriptures. And so Jesus steps forward and he says, yes, you are given those things, but you have not listened. And so like the groom with the feast, you didn't show up. And so guess what I'm going to do? Luke 14, 23, I'm going to go to the highways and the hedges and I'm going to invite those that normally don't get to participate. He says, I'm going to step outside the Jewish people and I'm going to invite the Gentiles. You and I, by the way, this is our legacy. We are legacies of the prodigal. We just unfortunately live like the older brother. Jesus says the highways and the hedges, those are who I will fill my feast with. And we will forget the close family because they did not show up to celebrate the groom who came to marry and bring forth his bride, the church. Jesus says the wayward sons and daughters are now being gathered through this illustration. This was promised a long, long time ago. This is a long-awaited day still in the history of Israel. They are waiting for this to happen, this thing that's already occurred. This is the day of salvation, and it is a day to celebrate, which continues to the present. 2 Corinthians 6.2 is a description of what God has been offering and is still offering. For he says, in favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ came to fulfill their scriptures, but they held their scriptures and their ability to obey those scriptures as vocational priests and rabbis and Sadducees and Pharisees as more important than being honest about their hearts before Christ. We don't want to give up the throne room of our authority. We don't want to give up the throne room of our uh, um, ability to make wise decisions. We want to be able to stand back and steward well the calling God has given us. And so what we're going to do is not participate in any movement of God that appears in any way sloppy or unclean because we are children of the Most High. And so we sit outside the celebration with our arms folded, proclaiming everything within there unworthy. And Jesus comes to them and says, you are the older brother. And I am reaching now into the ditches of humanity. And I am bringing forth the people who are the prodigals. And anytime you want, you are still receiving my inheritance. Anytime you want, you can choose to participate in this celebration. But it's going to require that you deem yourself as unworthy as them. Your well-lived life is going to mean very little when it comes to the weight of your eternal salvation. My sermons, my studying, my disciplined focus, my A-type leadership, all these things that, that that people applaud, that people appreciate, all of these things will be shattered 
if my heart is not humbled before God like yours is, like the older sons is, to say I am no different than any person who walks in this room every single day of my life and that I need Jesus Christ, I need his story, I need his salvation, I need his gospel poured over me, and I need to find myself broken so that I can be made whole. And whatever else he wants to do with that life, if it's stewarding thousands or leading a Bible study at a local community center, makes no difference to me. For I am to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And guess what, people? It made no difference to him. He preached to thousands, and he preached to widows, and the lowly, and the humble. He went wherever the Spirit led him. He wasn't out trying to build a crowd and a reputation. He didn't care what people thought. He just wanted to be where God was. Wherever his Father was leading, that's where he wanted to be. As the representation of him on this earth, he wanted to be wherever his eyes roamed. These Jewish leaders, like the older brother, they, they couldn't see this. And so they were wrong. And I'm here to tell you, if you can't look around this planet and see the way that God's working, if you can't look just inside this church and see the way that God's working, I mean... I, I really love what's going on here, but if you haven't figured out yet that I'm really not that smart or that talented in order for the things that are happening here, then you haven't looked close enough. I mean, I am just lucking out right now. This is on the same, same level as if I just joined a, a, you know, a professional baseball team and just started smacking home runs. I never practiced a day in my life, and I didn't really play much baseball. This is on that level. I'm not exaggerating. This is the kind of stuff that God's doing within our community with the kinds of people he's bringing. He's brought people here today you didn't even know it. There's new families here today. Welcome home because you just got sucked in. <laughs> you didn't even know it. I knew it when I shook your hand though. I was like, oh, we've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for people that want to take their faith serious, that want to be transformed and changed, that don't want to follow a pastor, want to follow God. We've been waiting for this. And our community's going to need it. Because our world needs it. But if you can't be glad in all the work that you're finding Jesus is doing, then I'm just here to tell you, you're wrong. See, in the full picture of Luke's gospel, the parable we just read, it stands as an indictment against the unbelieving Jewish leaders that they are the older brother. So let me just say this. We're about to get personal. Er. In the full picture of your acceptance of the gospel, if you proclaim to be a Christ follower, then I just want you to know this. This parable still stands as a possible indictment against you and against me. For God commands us to delight ourselves in the Lord. It's a command. It doesn't say delight yourself in the Lord when you want, when things go well. Delight yourself in the Lord when no one else is doing good and you're the best one in the room. Delight yourself in the Lord when no one can see any brokenness in your life and you appear stable. Delight yourself in the Lord when you're uh, free of addiction. Delight yourself in the Lord when your marriage is perfect. Delight yourself in the Lord when your kids are flawless. Delight yourself in the Lord when you understand what he's doing in your life. It does not say that. It just says delight yourself in the Lord. It goes on, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And then as a reminder, again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say Rejoice. This is because God himself is the source of joy. And if you proclaim to have God in your heart, then you've literally married your life to the joy creator of the universe. Why are you not floating every day? 
He is the center and the reason and the purpose. He displays his manifold perfections and satisfies every desire. Isaiah 55, 1, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. My friends, this alone is enough to necessitate your joy. This alone is enough to transform the brokenness in your life. This alone is enough to make you the only person in the office who should walk in in a smile when everything's falling apart. This alone should make you the only person in your marriage who still believes there's hope. This alone is, is enough to make you a parent that shows up even when your kids aren't interested. This alone should make you leave the tent of others' celebration to go out to the one who's missing the celebration for the sake of their hearts. This alone should be the only reason that you and I need to be light in the darkness. At all this, to the clearly seen mighty works of God occurring all over this time in human history, the way the Holy Spirit is moving, the way the gospel is advancing, the way Jesus is building his church, and all of this alone is enough and fitting that we should celebrate and be glad. And so, because of that, here's your indictment. I'll put it on the screen. In a very real sense, to the degree that we refuse to celebrate and be glad, we show ourselves to be out of touch with God's triumph in this world. You are outside the tent, bro. And you're confused because the music doesn't sound right. It smells kind of good, but I don't know how good it could be. I don't know why everybody's marriage is doing this and everybody's doing that. I'd get a divorce if I were you. I'd leave if I were you. I'd just do something else to make up for the stuff broken inside your life. And yet you can't see that God is bringing forth his presence, his joy, his healing in their lives and trying to get to yours. And this is because a choice is required. If we live indifferent, if we prefer to huff and puff, if we rightfully judge ourselves to be the only ones with the answer, then my friends, we have to agree that we are as clueless as the Pharisees and the older brothers. But if we choose to pull our love and satisfaction from the Lord, where there is no depth that God cannot fill, there is no power that his hand cannot bring, if we cannot see his mercies and his goodness and believe that they are new every morning, then we will live our lives joyless till the end. Because it is from this place of great joy that Jesus is building his kingdom and he's asking you to be a part of it. You, right now in your seats. And so whatever circumstance you find yourself in, this alone is cause enough to rejoice. For the time is right and it is fitting to celebrate and be glad. And so I proclaim through the Holy Spirit for those of you who have not celebrated well that you're about to. I proclaim through the power of the Holy Spirit freedom from that stuff that's kept you from fully engaging in your marriage, in your story, in your own life because you are afraid to experience whatever comes next. I'm here to tell you right now there is a season for all kinds of things and there is a season to celebrate and we are going to embrace that season. We are going to walk through this life in community and in connection. We're going to celebrate that we are not alone. We are going to celebrate that God is good. We are going to celebrate that he is merciful. We are going to celebrate that he is worthy of our praise. We're going to give him all the credit. And the more credit we give him, the more he's going to give us. You watch. 
And then when everything is full, when we can take no more of his blessing, we're going to turn this entire church upside down and we're going to go after people out of the darkness that are judging and that are hating and that are venomous. And we're going to embrace them with the joy of God and you watch them melt in your arms as they realize they belong in this celebration with us. The kingdom of God will prevail because the joy of God has never missed a step. We get to be those children. But if we judge ourselves as worthy or enough, if we're not honest to humble our hearts and admit that there's a sliver of broken humanity within us that proclaims we want to be what's celebrated instead of him who is worthy of celebration, then we're never going to get past the front door. We're going to continue to be angry, to judge, and to have eyes that don't see what Jesus sees or hands that don't touch what Jesus touches or words that don't speak to who Jesus wants us to speak to. We're going to be people that just waste all this blessing, only smelling from a distance, only looking from a distance instead of participating in the broken, muddy, beautiful, blessed celebration of God. This is what we're doing. This is what we're supposed to be. And so I just want to pray. I want to pray that over you right now. So with everyone's heads bowed and their eyes closed, I want to pray right now that God, there are people in this room who are yearning for connection with you yearning for purpose, yearning for more, yearning, God, for something that that just a simple sermon on a Sunday morning cannot fill. And so, God, may I just step out of the way. I am small, Lord. You are great. My heart is cracked. But you make me whole. God, I feel alone when I stand outside what you're doing and I judge. But God, I don't have to stand alone. I can be in your presence for you have come out to me. To every person in this room, your spirit has come out to them. and You're pleading with them now to give their lives to you. To ask forgiveness for their pride, for their sin to confess that they need your salvation. To admit, Lord, that they are alone and that they need more. That they need you. For those of us in the room, Lord, who have followed you for years, may we never, ever think it's because of our efforts, because of our skills of our gifts. May we never believe, Lord, that it is anything but your blessing. May we always look around the tent of your celebration and see life after life that once was dead, but now is alive, once was lost, but now is found. And may we deem it good because you deemed it good. May we deem it worthy because you deemed it worthy. May we celebrate because you celebrate. May we forgive because you forgive. May we hold because you hold. May we speak because you speak. May we love because you love. 
May you join us together now, God. May you remind us of your celebration, of your proclamation of love and joy for all. In Jesus' name.